Thank you, Bill, for reading God's Word for us. Shelton, if you believe that, will you repeat by saying, He is risen indeed when I say Christ is risen? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. A to the man. <laughs> That's what we get to celebrate this morning, that our Lord and Savior, Christ, has conquered the death, and he is risen indeed. Uh, my name is Jen, and it's my joy to welcome all of us who have gathered this morning. And Shelton, for many of us, this may be a familiar reality that you have subscribed your ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ, that he has conquered the death and he's risen from the dead. And yet there are also, I assume, many of you who have gathered here who do not share that belief. If you are there, we still nonetheless am so thankful that you have come to be with us. I only ask you today that you be a little bit open-minded as we consider the case of resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus really is who he claimed to be, and if he really conquered the death and rose again, that alters the entirety of your life. And I pray that life-changing reality will happen to you as well. Isn't it great to sing to him? Our weather may be cold, but I felt my heart strangely warm this morning. So good to worship our risen Savior this morning. As Pastor Bill just read 1 Corinthians 15 for us, that's the main text that we will be studying, which talks about the power of resurrection, how this resurrection reality changes our lives. In this text that was just read, Paul will pose us three questions that we will be asking, answering. First, what is the gospel? What is this gospel that changes our lives? So first, we will talk about that. And second, at the center of the gospel, the truth of validity, the power of gospel hinges on the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So is a resurrection real deal, or is this a sham? I think it's okay to ask it. So we'll examine, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ real? And lastly, if it really is real, that Jesus really conquered the death and rose again. How does that change our lives, really? Those three things we will examine that. What is the gospel? And is the resurrection of Jesus real deal? And if it is, how does it change our lives? Look, verse 1, how Paul begins this section. First, what is the gospel? Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached it to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Here, Paul opens up by saying, I preached this gospel which you received. Many of you know that the New Testament is not originally written in English. This is translation. It's originally written in the language of Greek. And this word, gospel, is the Greek word euangelion, which came from the word angelus, which is messenger, herald, the one angel. What are the angels? The one who delivers the good news. The euangelion is the good news. How this word came about in the time of this Greek, they were constantly in a warfare. 
And because its location, Persian Empire would constantly attack from the north, the Greek would constantly send their troops to the border. Just like you see nowadays in Russia and Ukraine, they would send their troops to the northern border to block the attacks of Persian Empire. If you are citizens of Greek, battle is happening, what would you feel? You're like, am I going to be slave tomorrow? Am I going to be alive tomorrow? What am I going to do? You're constantly worried about what is going to happen. I would be caught in desperate fear, not knowing what my destiny holds even tomorrow because there's battle. They can invade anytime and come and conquer. But every time Greek would win the battle, they would always send the herald, the messenger, Angelus, on their feet, on their foot, and they would come to the city and declare, we have triumphed. And that news changes the reality of where you live now, right? Oh, wow, we are victorious. I don't have to live in fear anymore. My life, I am not going to be slave of this Persian empire. That's what Evangelion is, this good news that the herald delivers, the battle has been won. We have triumphed. Perhaps the most famous usage of this incident is the Battle of Marathon, right? When the Persian Empire attacked by the sea, they, they did not know what was going to happen, but they triumphed. So this messenger ran and ran and ran. What people think is 25 miles, it was much further, over 100 miles. And this herald arrived and declared, we have triumphed. And they dropped dead. Shelton, do you really believe that Jesus conquered the death for us and rose again from the dead. He's the one who fought the cosmic battle of death and he has conquered the death in the end. Did Paul say here, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you earned. Is that what it says? I don't think so. It says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. We didn't fight the battle. Our Christ fought the battle for us. He subjected himself to death on the cross. That's why we remembered on Good Friday. But today, he has conquered the death and rose again. So, Chilton, good news is that it's what Jesus Christ has done. That's what Paul says in verse 3 and 4. What does he say? What is this good news? That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Jesus Christ died and yet rose again. Oftentimes we talk a lot about the former, that Jesus Christ died in our circle, but we don't talk about the latter part, resurrection. But these two must go together for us to truly believe who Jesus claimed to be. If there is only death of Jesus without resurrection, we would believe that, oh wow, Jesus, you really loved me so much that you're willing to lay down your life. But we wouldn't know he's really God. Anybody could die for somebody else if you really love one another. We would be moved. Thank you, Jesus. But thank you. I live my life. But what if this, the death of Jesus would prove how much he has loved us, but he will not show us how mighty, how powerful he is indeed. Yet on the third day, he has conquered the death and rose again. If Jesus only had ultimate power, then we would always just be fearful, right? Oh, wow, this powerful king can kill us any moment. Yet he's not only powerful, he loved us to death enough. 
He loved us to give himself for us. This death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what gospel is all about for our sins. So the good news, strictly speaking, is not a good advice. Even the Sermon on the Mount is only the implication of life, implication of the gospel. Good news is what Christ has done. Therefore, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger after righteousness. Blessed are you, a church, who live for Jesus Christ unto your glory because we have received this good news. So resurrection of Jesus Christ is like, in a sense, it's like a receipt. I'm one of those, every time I pay in cash or credit card, I always ask for a receipt. What does receipt do? It's the proof the price has been paid for. Resurrection proved that our sins has been paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. What does that mean for us today? One of the highest grossing films of all time, number two, is most recent one, Avengers Endgame. Perhaps many of you have seen that. After the great battle against Thanos, who tries to annihilate mankind, then Tony Stark, Iron Man, stops, steps up, and he goes and snaps the finger, gives his life, uh, because the infinite stone was too powerful that he was about to die. His colleague, his wife, his love, Pepper, goes up to Tony and says, we are going to be okay. You can rest now. Shelton, because the cosmic battle has been won, we are going to be okay. You can rest now. What is that for you? We are often like the Greek. Are we going to be okay tomorrow? Is my life going to be a slavery? Is my life going to be just caught in this terrible warfare? And this herald has come and told us, battle has been won. We can rest today. What are we so afraid of today, right? If our Lord and Savior took care of our cosmic problem of death for us, why are we so anxiously worried? For the things that we think it's under our control, at least sometimes I'm delusional enough to think it's under my control. I am so restless. Did I do it enough? I should do more. I did it. Well, maybe I can do differently. Constantly I am worried about this or that, as if my life would completely fall apart. For the things that I am not in control, I am still needlessly worried, as if that will help any circumstances. But if I believe that all-loving and all-powerful God has taken care of the cosmic problem for us, why do I got to be afraid? Why do you got to be afraid, Chilton? What is that for you? Don't you want to believe that so much? One of the struggles I had so much preparing this sermon, church, I confess, is that I know it, but I really don't know it. If I really knew that Jesus Christ loved me so much, he was willing to lay down his life for us, he's that powerful, why would I be so worried about every single little, little things in my life? Do you really believe that, Shelton, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ loved us to death and yet he conquered the death? That's the God whom we serve. That is the gospel, what he has done, that we can rest now. Now, historically speaking, now that we just defined what gospel is, there really has been no debate, not only among Christianity, but even among other religions, among even in the atheist and agnostic circles, they all just about unanimously affirm historical Jesus. 
They affirm that Jesus Christ really lived. And majority of them do affirm that he has been killed as well. But what has been debatable, at least those who are outside of Christian faith, is that Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. That's not true. So we must, it's okay to ask a question. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because in the end, the truth of the gospel really the, hinges on the reality of resurrection. Paul is himself is aware of that. What does Paul say? Is the resurrection of Jesus real? Read verse 12 to 14. What does he say? But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Paul himself anticipates that he's like, if Christ is not raised from the dead, I'm sorry, Chelton, you are literally wasting every single second here this morning if Christ is not raised from the dead. So let us examine that. Because Christian faith is really not a blind faith, but it is a reasonable faith. Paul will give us reason why Christ indeed is raised from the dead. If, as Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, I guess I'll be unemployed. <laughs> If Christ is not raised, what am I doing? I'm not even just wasting your time. I'm the con artist, if then. And I'm sorry, on this beautiful day, you could have enjoyed your day outside in this cold weather. <laughs> but you are here. And I don't think this will be my last sermon. I do believe with all my heart the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real. Let's examine that. Paul will give three reasons why resurrection of Jesus Christ is real from verse 4 all the way through 11. Three things. Empty tomb, eyewitnesses, transform the life. Let's examine one by one. Verse 4, what does Paul say? He gives very rational argument that he was buried, and yet he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. According to the four Gospels, all of them say that Jesus was raised and the tombs were empty. And not only that, verse 5 to 8, what does it say? And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the 12 after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Although some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And now, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright argues that the empty tomb and also this eyewitness must go together in order to give its validity of Jesus' resurrection. What does he mean by that? What if there is empty tomb, but there is no eyewitness? These 500 people who saw risen Jesus were not there. There was just empty tomb. Then you can possibly say, as hard as it was to roll the stone while the guard was guarding the tomb, you can possibly say, maybe they dozed off and some people just stole the body. Because nobody saw it in the end. You just stole the body. That's why tomb was empty. On the other side, what if there are 500 eyewitnesses body is still in the tomb. That's awkward. <laughs> That's fake news. They're just pro pro propaganda, right? And how does that typically work? Because one people might really want you to believe that, right? It's that kind of mob dynamic, right? It's in a sense like confirmation bias. So they're just spreading false rumor, the abstinence, or some people say they were hallucinating. But however, tomb was empty, as hard as it was, and there were 500 eyewitnesses who saw risen Jesus. 
As Pastor Bill said, this was only written not too many years ago, 20, 30 years after Jesus was raised. People say Jesus was raised approximately AD 33. Just like 20 years later, AD 50 to 55, 60s around this first Corinthian was written. Just 20, 30 years later, there are a lot of people who saw risen Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, do you want to know whether Jesus is raised? Go talk to Pete. He saw Jesus. He talked to Jesus. You want to know whether Jesus was raised? Go talk to Jamie here. James saw Jesus. Go talk to 500 people. Don't you remember what happened 20 years ago, Chelton? Oh, I do. I vividly remember where I was even when 9-11 happened. Just a little over 20 years ago. I vividly remember. You cannot possibly fake that. Or on a lighter note, I just found out yesterday that this is 20th year since American Idol. <laughs> About the same weight, right? <laughs> Guess what? First season, Kelly Clarkson won for a moment like this. Some people wait for a lifetime, I hear. I can tell you that's what happened 20 years ago. So Paul is doing the same thing. Go talk to those people. They are still alive. Go talk to them. These are eyewitnesses. On top of that, when you read Mark chapter 16, Chelton, there are three people who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ first. Who are those three? Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Who are all those? All those are women. What does that mean? At the time of Roman culture, women's opinion, what they have seen and heard, was not counted as valid in a court setting. Then if gospel writers were to invent a religion, try to create some false movement, why in the world would they put three women whose opinion does not even count? They would have put like probably most famous leader at the time, king or the high priest or whatever, the most famous Pharisees, whoever to kind of create the movement. The only reason that gospel writers put three women as a first witness, no other reason. That, that's exactly how it happened. And there are 500 people who witnessed this glorious resurrection. They are still alive. So Paul gives reason. The tomb was empty, according to Scripture. And there are 500 people who are still alive at the time. Go ask them Jesus is risen. And not only that, third, there is transformed life. Look, 8 through 9, what does it say? And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostle and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. What is Paul saying? There was not only the empty tomb, not only the 500 people who have seen Jesus, but there is also me. I am the chief sinner. There is also, historically speaking, no one denies historical Paul. Paul existed and lived. And he was one of the greatest persecutors of Christian faith. What happened that this one of the greatest persecutors of Christian movement all of a sudden turned into one of the most, if not the most consequential evangelist of all time? Something must have snapped it to him. Something must have happened. This brilliant mind all of a sudden says, hey, I used to persecute all the Christian, but I've seen Jesus and my life is transformed. Isn't that powerful? One of the joys that I get to see as a pastor sometimes is that I get to see transformed life. Uh, there occasionally I see people, oh, I was just so wrong. I trust Jesus. My life is different now. When I see that, 
how they admit they are wrong, realize that there's a new way of life. They humble themselves in brokenness and repent, and their lives are so transformed. How are you going to explain the miracle? Apart from that, there really is something about risen Savior. The Jesus movement has been the greatest movement of all time in history, last two millennia. How would you explain these millions of people who have trusted in Jesus? Chatlin, with all my heart, I can tell you, you are not wasting your time here today. Our Christ King has conquered the grave. He not only died, but he rose from the dead. Empty tomb testified it. These 500 eyewitnesses testified it. Millions and billions of people whose life have been transformed by this message of the gospel testify that. You can bank on it. For those of you who are still on the hinge, not quite, I still don't buy it, Jen. Well, I, one day I pray that God will open your eyes, but continue to wrestle with me now. If Jesus really rose from the dead as we examine, then how does this change really our lives? Have you really thought about that? Let's examine the verse 54 through 58. talks about one, one of the prominent concepts of Christianity, how it gives perspective. We talked a lot of our resurrection, but let's be honest here. Let's ask some sobering question. What is prerequisite of resurrection? What comes before resurrection? Death. You must die in order to rise again. And death is the question that I think not only modern Western culture, but all modernity, whether it be Eastern, Western, especially prosperous countries, have really little concept of what really death is all about in comparison to the saints and the people who have gone before us. What do I mean by that when here Paul says that death has been swallowed up in victory? Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Verse 54 and 55, he's talking a lot about death. And we have very little understanding of death if you're honest with yourself. Even worse than any other people in history. Let me show you what I mean by that. According to historian James Riley, he says that by the time of 19th century, 1820, a global life expectancy was only about at 29. So as you're growing up, death was a very common thing that you had to reckon with and wrestle with from your childhood. But he writes, between 1800 and 2000, life expectancy at birth rose from about 30 years to a global average of 67 years and to more than 75 years in favored country. This dramatic change was called a health transition, characterized by a transition both in how long people expected to live and how they expected to die. So just about two centuries ago, they constantly had to wrestle with the death in all their lives. Not only that, let me just take one century back, to like, 19, like 20th century, World War I, like 1914 to 1918, they mopped out a lot of people. They constantly had to wrestle with, am I going to make it? Not only that, right after that pandemic, Spanish flu came through. It wiped out in matter 18, 1918, right after World War, 1919, wiped out over 50 million. Just in comparison, COVID killed about a little over 6 million. If you can see the magnitude of that. Soon after that, Great Depression swept across Soon after that, World War II broke out in 1939, after that Cold War. All those 20th century, people constantly had to wrestle with, what is life all about? What is death all about? 
But when it came to 21st century, at the end of Cold War and now, with the help of modern medicine, which is great, with the development of technology, somehow we know about death more than any other people in history, but we know the least about death than any other people because we assume we are immortal. We'll live forever and evermore, even though we know that we will die. So medicine and science have relieved so many of us the causes of early death. So today, a vast majority of people decline and die even in hospitals and hospices removed from eyes of others. So it's normal to live to adulthood and not see anyone die, except only a brief moment of corpse at the brief glance at the time of funeral. Probably that's all you have witnessed many times. Like, for example, one of my favorite theologians, John Owen, who wrote Mortification of Sin, he saw his 11 children die, including his first wife. He had to wrestle with the death all the time, this great equalizer that equals all of us. Even though we have great data, because, oh, I live, none of us assume they will die tomorrow, do you? I don't. I'd, oh, I'd be okay. Well, if we don't think about this great equalizer, what is greatest great equalizer in our days? I thought about what levels all of us. It's not death, I realize. Just about the great equalizer, as close as we can get, is DMV. When you go to DMV, doesn't matter who you are, how good-looking or not, what race, education status, rich level, whatever, you all wait two hours. <laughs> That's about it. This great equalizer of death, we don't think about that. See, that 19th century and 20th centuries, Back then, death was a topic that was forefront in their mind talked about, but sex was taboo. Nobody talked about that. In modernity, 21st century completely flipped it. We talk about sexuality, sex, the crude jokes. It's like forefront in their mouths. But death has become somehow taboo. As a result of all that, we just don't know how to reckon with death. But Charlton, it's coming for all of us. It can happen any moment. And what does Christianity have to offer with this death? Do they have the antidote? Oh, yes, it does. What does Paul say in 54? Death has been swallowed up in victory. That means resurrection is not just removal of death. It's something significantly more than that. The resurrection is not just consolation for suffering. It's something far more. What is it? Verse 55 where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what this means? When you talk about the death of the sting, this word, kentron, is only used here, 55 and 56, and once in the book of Acts, and once in the book of Revelation. That's about it. Paul only uses it here in the entire New Testament. But especially when you look at the Revelation usage of this word, it's not just a regular sting. It's the sting that kills you. It's a scorpion sting. It's the poisonous sting that kills you. You know what Paul is saying? The scorpion's poison has been sucked out by the blood of the Christ. So even you may you will still die because of this state that we are in. But the sting of death, the poison of death has been sucked up because of what Jesus Christ has done. So we've got nothing to fear. Even death, where is your victory? Death does not have last word over us. Death, the great equalizer that wipes out everything, 
does not have the last word. Why? Because we examine Jesus Christ for died our sin rose again. Why? Because resurrection is a real deal. You can bank your entire life on it, Shelton. Why do people, I've heard a lot of people, people trusting Jesus Christ before their deathbed. Do you know why they do that? Because they knew they were going to die someday, but they really didn't know this day was coming. And at their deathbed, they realized there's something more. I want to hold on to this glorious hope. And that hope is that our Lord and Savior subjects himself to death. And through his death, and yet he has conquered the dead and rose again, through that the scorpion's poison has been sucked out death does not have sting over us anymore do you believe that shelton perhaps you are like just like me and other modern people that we don't think about death often how about death of your dream how about death of your reputation how about death of your beauty death about your status do you think those will have last words? No way. Jesus Christ, who has conquered the death, will watch over you. Why are you obsessing over death of your reputation? Why are you obsessing over death of your security account? If our Lord and Savior took care of the cosmic, cosmic problem of death for you, you have nothing to worry today. It's going to be okay. You can rest now, Shelton. Do you believe that? Do I truly believe that? Just about three years ago, um, one of the joys as a pastor and sorrow, I should say, is that I get to sometimes walk through the most happy occasions of anybody's life, very celebratory occasion, as well as the worst, very sorrowful time with people as well. In my previous experience, we had a member of our church who was about to die after a long battle with cancer. Uh, a few weeks before his death, um, he was hospitalized in New York City. So I drove up. As I'm driving, this mortality question hits me as well. God, I don't know what I'm going to tell him. I don't even know what to say. Is he going to be panicking? Is he going to be okay? He was only mid-50s. Um, when I saw him at the hospital, I was surprised that he was so poised. Um, and we just chit-chat for a while, and I asked him, Hey, what do you want to do? <laughs> I didn't know. And he's like, Jin, I would like to sing. Is that okay if we sing? So I was like, why not? There happened to be the traveling musical nurse over there. So I just grabbed her. Hey, can you borrow us a guitar real quick? So I just borrowed a guitar from her. We are singing hymns of amazing grace. We are singing worship songs. And he was just singing his lungs out. The entire hospital could hear him singing. I was so moved by that. His wife just sitting next to us smiling. After that, I said, is that okay if I just read Psalm 23 with you? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's the one who leads us beside still water and refreshes our soul. As I'm reading, his wife is just crying next to us. But he's just so poised and calm. Do you know why he was so poised and calm? Because he knew that the poison of a scorpion sting has been sucked out of his life. He got nothing to be afraid. Only death is to see his risen Savior face to face. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? None of that. That's what Jesus Christ's death and resurrection proves for us. Children, do you believe that? 
Famously, D.L. Moody once said, hey, someday you will read in papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. We are alive in Christ Jesus because he has taken care of our cosmic problem. That's the God whom we serve. Therefore, if you truly believe that, this is the final charge that Paul gives to all of us. Verse 58, therefore, what does that therefore mean? Because Jesus Christ was buried and rose again. Therefore, because resurrection is a real deal, because there is empty tomb, there are 500 eyewitnesses, there are billions of transformed life. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not vain. Shelton, if you really believe that when I say Christ risen, can you repeat after me? He's risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Shelton, do you believe that Christ is risen? He is risen indeed. Amen. Let me pray for us. Oh God, we believe, help our unbelief. God, if you loved us to death and yet you are mighty enough to conquer the grave, what do we got to worry about? We often live like those Greeks who are awaiting for news to come. The Greeks have triumphed. We are caught in fear and trembling. But, oh, Lord, we know that news, that news has come, the gospel has come to us. So would you reorient us and help us to live in this new reality that Jesus is risen? Oh, God, what do we got to worry about today? Perhaps there are many of us who know Jesus Christ as their Savior here in this room. And yet we are afraid about so many little things of our lives as if our Savior will not take care of us. But, O oh Lord, who has loved us to death, who was powerful enough to conquer the grave, that God cares for us. We know that. So help us to find rest in you. And for those of the people who are still not sure whether Jesus Christ really rose from the dead, God, would you continue to soften their heart? Use the people around them who become that herald, that messenger of good news, who will constantly tell them of this truth, their reality. And use us, the people who know this reality, make us beautiful feet to share the good news that Jesus Christ died and that rose again, that alters our entire life and history. God, we commit ourselves to you on this Easter day. May today be Easter. May tomorrow be Easter. May day after tomorrow be continued to be Easter in every day of our lives that we believe the resurrecting reality of our Savior. He has conquered the death, so we live. We are immovable. We stand firm, knowing that our God has loved us and conquered the grave. So we commit ourselves to you. In your name we pray. Amen.